Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco on the Improved Photography Network. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks for spending a few minutes of your day with me. I want to start things off in this episode as I record in late December 2016 by reminding everyone to share their top 10 with us. If you missed that podcast, go back a couple of episodes where I talk about the uh, top 10 process, the annual top 10 process, and how valuable I find that to improving my photography. I am enjoying so much everyone sharing their top 10 photos on our Facebook group, which you can find at facebook.com slash groups slash photo taco. But I really want to encourage you to share them with the world. That group is great. We have lots of photographers in that group. We're there to help each other, support each other, ask questions. It's really a great forum, a great group to belong to. But it's still contained. There's only uh, a few thousand people in that group. And it would be better, I think, to share your photos to the world through Instagram. Hashtag them, pound photo taco, hashtag photo taco, and hashtag top 10 pound. Boy, I showed my age there, didn't I? And then tagging at photo taco podcast so that I can see them. Uh, I think it will help to increase your followers, especially if you do a good job of adding other hashtags that are descriptive and fit the photo that you're posting. And if you do a series of 10 of them, telling, outlining kind of your top 10 for the year, I think that's a really great way to attract a lot of uh, followers on Instagram. And I'd love to see them by having that, uh, those, those hashtags, photo taco, all one word and top 10 T O P T E N all alpha characters, no digits in there. No, no one or zero. All right. With that. Oh, and my pop, my, I'm going to post my own top 10 to my personal social media accounts starting January 1st. So if you want to check those out, hit up the show notes and find my social media accounts and follow me so you can see my own top 10 for 2016, which I'll start on January 1st. Okay. Enough of that. In this episode, I'm going to go back to my nerdy, nerdy roots, and I'm going to tackle a topic from a listener, Ruben Zaldana, who said, I own a D7200, and it can shoot five frames per second in 14-bit RAW and six frames per second in 12-bit RAW. What's the difference between 14-bit and 12-bit, and is it worth the extra frames per second? Ruben, thank you so much for asking the question. Now, before we get into the answering the question, a couple of things to explain, maybe for listeners who aren't familiar with this. Uh, raw files, hopefully you know what those are. Uh, it's a way to record like the information straight from the sensor without having the camera interpret anything, which usually is uh, JPEG is the alternative where the, the camera interprets it, writes out a file to the memory card, doing its own processing of sorts, and kind of makes it a, a baked picture where you can't do nearly as much as you could when you have the raw data from the sensor, which is kind of why it's called raw. And, uh, and then you can edit it in Lightroom, Photoshop, whatever uh, raw editor. You do need a, a different kind of editor to do that. And with Ruben has found that on the D7200, a Nikon camera, that he has some options in his camera related to raw files. He was not sure what the trade-off is, what the, what the difference really is, the meaningful difference, and I'm hoping to answer that question. He has two choices, actually. Where his question only outlined one, but I'm going to go through two, and we'll, we'll get to that at the end of the podcast. But he wanted to know 14-bit RAW or 12-bit or RAW. What's the difference there? He has the choice in his Nikon camera. Now, you can in shooters. If you're going to go look for this, it's not there. I'm going to get to that in this episode, too. But there is a side effect in his Nikon camera if he picks the 14-bit raw, which sounds like the better choice, right? 14 bits. That means there's more bits and more bits is better. We always like more bits. 
And uh, but the side effect is five frames per second when he does a 14-bit raw versus the six frames per second that he can get with 12-bit raw. And then what's the difference there? Frames per second is how many shots you can take in a second. So imagine when you have the camera set to the mode where it takes pictures the fastest, like the continuous or high continuous, something like that is the settings that you can pick. It's the drive mode on the camera. You can go in there in the settings and you can change what the drive mode is. And if you do the highest, the fastest drive mode, in the Nikon D7200, if you pick 14-bit, the fastest that shutter will go, be like that's from, from shot to shot to shot to shot, it will do five shots in one second with 14-bit RAW. And in 12-bit RAW, you'll get six shots in one second. So it goes that much faster. You get an extra shot in that second than you do if it was 14-bit. Uh, so his question is, is it worth it? If he wants the extra frame per second, what is he losing by going from a 14-bit raw down to a 12-bit raw? So I love this question, it's right up my alley. This is my sweet spot, Ruin, but I have to be honest, something I'd never personally looked into until I saw this question because I'm a Canon shooter, and as far as I can tell, Ruben's question really only applies to Nikon cameras because Nikon gives you this choice and I don't see that other camera systems do. Could be wrong. Let me know in Facebook group or on uh, Twitter or Instagram if your camera does give you the choices. I didn't do an exhaustive search there, but it looks to me like Canon for sure doesn't have it, and I'm not sure any others do. They kind of have a default. It looks like most of them are either 14 or 12. There are some 16-bit RAWs that I saw in some of the camera formats, but we're not talking about that really necessarily. We're going to stick to kind of the definition that it is for Nikon and explain the choice here for Ruben. As photographers, we always want to turn everything up the highest it can go, right? Turning up the bit depth, and that's what this number is, the 12 and the 14 here, that's a bit depth, and that's actually what the setting is called on the Nikon camera is bit depth for the RAW file. Uh, we're going to explain what bit depth is in a second, but it seems like at the surface, right, it's only going to be better. 12 bits versus 14 bits, we always want to do more bits, right? Isn't that the thing? And so I could probably just answer your question room straight up, but that's not how we do things on Photo Taco, right? I have to nerd out over the details about 14-bit versus 12-bit. So let's start there with defining bit depth. Might be a little bit scary term all by itself to some of you. Some people may think out of my depth when they hear that term bit depth, but let's see if I can provide a fairly simple explanation. Depth, well, that's something we all understand. How deep is a pool of water? How deep is the snow outside my door as I record this in late December 2016, which is about six inches right now as I record this in Harriman, Utah. Since we all kind of get depth, then it must be the bit part of that term that is a little hard to understand. Now, I'm sure you've all heard it countless times that computers run on ones and zeros. And even though you may not know what that really means, well, it, it doesn't actually matter for you to understand bit depth. Computer people use the term bit to mean a way to store information. Now a bit can only have two values. It's a zero or a one, which is like off or on. And in reality it has to do with how electricity is stored. But to make this make sense to photographers, let me use a little different analogy. And I want you to imagine that you have black and white paint to fill up a bucket and you have to label the bucket with a zero or a one on the side to instruct someone else to come and fill that bucket with paint. If it's a zero that you put on the side of the bucket, they're going to fill it with white paint all the way up to the top, completely white. If it is a one, they have to fill it completely up with black paint. Okay. Zero white, 
one black. That's instructions that you're leaving to, to paint the buckets or put the paint in the buckets. Since you only have a single bit on the outside of the bucket, that one placeholder where you can put either a single zero or a single one, that's a single bit. That means it's a bit depth of one. And you only have two colors that come out of that bit depth. You can either have white or black. We're not allowing that you can mix them and get other colors because you don't have any way to give instructions to whoever's going to fill up that bucket to do anything different. All you have is a single placeholder where you can put a zero or a one, a single bit to put zero or one. Okay. Now imagine you could lay out those buckets in a grid. Let's say 10 by 10. You can do a 10 by 10 grid. And you could, by writing then, using that single bit on the outside of that bucket, you could create some kind of a design. You could draw an X in the grid, for example, by putting a one on the diagonals that make up that grid and put all the rest as zeros. And then the, the filler, the paint filler, will go and put in white with the zero buckets and black with the one buckets. And you can make a design there. You can make a pattern. Now, you can increase the resolution of your pattern by adding buckets. We could expand and make it instead of a 10 by 10, we could do a 100 by 100 or 1,000 by 1,000 or even 1 million by 1 million. And you can imagine that you'd get a lot better ability to be more creative and have more uh, ability to like draw circles or lines or more complexity, but you still only have two colors in all of those buckets because your bit depth across all of that is still just one. All right. So hopefully you're with me and this is making sense. Uh, if not, well, then the podcast is not going to go well today, <laughs> but, but hopefully you make sense. Now let's add some bit depth to our capabilities here. Let's double our bit depth. We're going to go from one to two, not by saying we're going to get more numbers. Remember a bit can only have a zero or a one in it. But what we're gonna do is make it so we now have two placeholders instead of just one placeholder. On that bucket, you have two places where you can put a one or a zero. And now we get four colors because you can have four different combinations of ones and zeros. We could say, well, zero, zero, that means all white. We're gonna put all white paint into the bucket. And one, one, we're gonna put all black into the bucket. So those are still the two colors that we had before, still there. We encode them now by saying all zeros white, all ones black. But now in those two placeholders, we can also put a zero one or a one zero. And so those are two other combinations that we have. With the bit depth of two, we get four colors. Because we could say at zero one, we're gonna put some mixture of white and black, so you get like a light gray. And at one zero, we're gonna put some mixture of black and white to get a dark gray. So now you'll have in, in black and white, you'll have white, light gray, dark gray, black. And we can encode that on the side of the bucket because we have a bit depth of two, two spots to put a bit. And that's still just zeros and ones. Okay, so hopefully you can kind of get that and this is making sense. And we can extrapolate that all the way out until we have 12 placeholders on the side of the bucket where we can put zeros and ones. We have a bit depth of 12. 12 bits that can describe the color. Tell the person that's gonna fill the bucket with paint how to fill the paint with the black and the white paints, right? And you now have, it turns out, with 12 bits there, you get 4,096 different combinations for each bucket. 
So you can have 4,096 different shades of gray to black to white, right? You're going to go white, slightly gray, slightly grayer, slightly grayer, slightly all the way up to black. 4,096 levels of it with 12 bits to describe the bit depth. Has nothing to do with how many buckets are there, what the resolution is of your creation that we've got, but it has to do with how many colors you could put in that single bucket by mixing the paints together, the black and white paints. And that would be true if this was black and white. Oh, before we do that, 14 bits, just to give you a comparison, we get 4,096 different shades of black and white for 12 bits. If you go to 14 bits, you get 16,384 different combinations. So that seems, again, like way better, right? If you're talking about 12-bit versus 14-bit, and in black and white, you'd get 4,096 different shades versus 16,384 shades. Yeah, we'd want that, wouldn't we? And to make it even more appealing, we're not shooting in black and white, we're shooting in color. And for computers, that means we actually get three different colors. We get red, green, and blue, often referred to as RGB for red, green, blue, for each bucket. So you get actually three bit depth things on the side of the bucket. You'll get one that describes the red, one 12-bit thing that describes the green, and a third 12-bit thing label that describes the blue, the RGB for that bucket. And that turns out then in 12 bits, you can combine those 4,096 different levels of red with 4,096 different levels of green and 4,096 different levels of blue to get 69 million different colors. Well, almost. It's a little short of 69 million different colors that you can create with each bucket. Okay, and that number jumps to a little over 4 trillion different colors when you create colored buckets with a bit depth of 14. So going from 12, where you got 69 million different colors, to 14 gives you the ability to describe 4 trillion different colors with the combinations of red, green, blue at a bit depth of 14. All right, hopefully that's all holding together and you can imagine in your mind what I'm talking about here. But back to the point at the top of the show, as photographers, we always wanna crank everything up as much as possible, right? You're thinking it was got to be better to have four trillion different colors per pixel than a measly 69 million different colors. And therefore, of course, Ruben should want the 14-bit versus the 12-bit RAW files. But there's some things here to consider and you can make your own call then about whether or not that trade-off, because remember Ruben was talking about the trade-off is you lose a frame per second. When you increase the bit depth from 12 to 14, your frames per second, how fast you can take shots, how fast you can go from shot to shot to shot is impacted and goes down. Well, University of Chicago physics professor, Dr. Emil Martinek, wrote a paper in 2008 called The Consequence of Noise. And so we're going to dive into the purely scientific reason why it won't matter, 12 versus 14 bit. And he says that due to limitations in sensor technology, noise makes it impossible to actually get any benefit of data, of recorded data in 14 bit raw files versus 12 bit raw files. He's saying the source of the information being the sensor in the camera it's, a, it's not precise enough of an instrument to actually get the details needed to make a difference between a bit depth of 12 and a bit depth of 14. So some physics nerd in 2008, that's a long time ago as we sit here in 2016, he said 14-bit won't be any better than 12-bit because the sensor technology wasn't good enough. But 
It's 2016 as I record this episode, and the noise is being handled much better today than it used to be, right? We've seen that. That's obvious. Well, maybe. If not something we have overcome today, it seems very possible it will be at some point. And I haven't seen any update to know what the professor thinks about it today, but from a purely scientific level, it may be possible that we still have not overcome that and the sensors are not precise enough instruments that recording the raw file in 14 bits versus 12 is no different. But let's move on to another fact. The scientists believe the human eye can only distinguish about 10 million different colors. 10 million. Now you remember 12 million or 12 bit raw files give us 69 million colors almost. So that means the color information that we can put in a 12-bit raw file is still six times more than we can actually distinguish with our eyes. So we really can't see the difference in color with a bit depth of eight, actually. That's kind of the maximum. It's a little less than eight. We can't see, we can't distinguish the colors encoded in a file that's even a bit depth of eight. But we can play around with the colors in post-processing, and that's kind of the power of raw. You can change white balance so much easier because we have all of this room with the colors in the files to be able to play with, and that's part of the power of RAW. So even though the final image may not end up being a benefit of anything more than 8 bits when we export it to JPEG, there is a benefit to having at least 12 bits of information in the RAW file, but probably not much of an advantage to going from 12-bit to 14-bit. And since we can't actually distinguish the bit depth, uh, anything above eight, it's not going to be surprising to hear that as I researched the topic, I found a numerous blog posts, which I will put links to in the show notes, where photographers had done real world testing. So this isn't science hypothesis or theorems or anything. This is real hands-on experience where they took the difference between 12-bit and 14-bit and compared them. Not even after taking pictures in like extreme situations, severely under overexposing, were any of them really able to see a difference between 12-bit and 14-bit raw files. Okay, so some did take, you know, a massive stretch. And then combining extreme, extreme pixel peeping with extremely underexposed shots. And they found a tiny bit of difference where 14-bit outperformed 12-bit. But the reality was that it was so minor that for all practical purposes, they've concluded all of the tests I saw, there's no real difference in colors or image quality between a 12-bit RAW and a 14-bit RAW for Nikon. For practical purposes, the only thing you are gaining when you choose a bit depth of 14 versus a bit depth of 12 is bigger file sizes. <laughs> bigger sizes to take up memory on your memory card, bigger sizes to fill up your camera buffer more quickly. And for those of you who may not know what a camera buffer is, that's how many shots you can take before the camera really slows down and won't let you take anymore because it needs time to write the photos that you have taken out to the memory card. There's the fast memory inside the camera called the buffer. It stores only so many photos and once that gets filled up, the camera slows down and won't take pictures very fast until it writes out and clears out that buffer and you have that, that internal memory available again. So the bigger those photos are that you're taking, the faster that buffer fills up 
and the, the, the more your camera will slow down as you take more and more shots. It only happens when you're really doing that continuous or high speed mode when you're trying to press that shutter button down and take a whole bunch at once, but it's still a factor, something to consider. 14-bit also means bigger files to store on your computer hard drive, and maybe the most important aspect, you're asking Lightroom to deal with these bigger sizes as you process them. So you've heard us talk a lot about on the show, either in the Improved Photography podcast or here in Photo Talk or anywhere you go, really. The bigger the file size, the more Lightroom struggles to deal with it. And the slower the sliders are, the slower everything seems to be in Lightroom. Not quite as big a deal in Photoshop, but Lightroom really seems to struggle as file sizes get bigger. So a 14-bit RAW file is going to be bigger, and therefore it's not Lightroom will not perform quite as well. So that's a consideration you have. Now, I'm confident that if you did your own testing, you'd find that you can't tell a difference between 12-bit RAW and 14-bit RAW. That's what all these other people had done, these other mainstream media photographers, articles that I'd, I'd read. Uh, they all did that hands-on, and they could not really tell the difference. They were honest with themselves and thought, yeah, I expected I might be able to, but I just can't. And that's more updated results than, than our professor had. Uh, it's it's very current 2016 people looking at this and there just really isn't a bit of a, a lot of difference there but there is a part of the question that Ruben didn't ask that we need to go through before I end this episode and it has to do with another decision to be made on Nikon cameras with raw images and that's recording type so this is another option on the D7200 besides the bit depth you also have recording type where you can choose between lossless compressed or compressed and the Nikon D7200 manual it says that the difference between the two options is that compressed will throw away some of the redundant data in the photo and gives you about 35 to 55 percent smaller files than if you choose lossless compressed with and it will have almost no effect on image quality okay but it said it throws away data which sounds a whole lot like what JPEG does, and we're shooting RAW instead of JPEG because we don't like that JPEG throws away data. So we don't want compressed, right? Well, I think the answer actually is no. It's not the same as what JPEG is doing. You still get a RAW file that has the same flexibility of the lossless compressed RAW. It's just smaller. There was something that Dr. Martinick also wrote about in his paper, and he said that, again, the noise in the sensor is enough disruption to all this. It means there's not really any difference between those two choices either. The instrument is not sensitive enough, and that's what Nikon kind of studied, and that's what they built into the camera, and that's why they have the other option. You can choose to have the compressed raw 12-bit file format and get the very smallest kind of raw file size without sacrificing image quality. And that can increase the number of photos you can fit in the buffer. It'll increase the number of photos you can fit on a memory card. It'll increase the number of photos you can put on your hard drive. And it'll make Lightroom work a little bit faster with the photos. And to, to cap it all off, you don't really can't really tell the difference between the two. So I don't hesitate at all in recommending the bottom line for Nikon cameras is that if you want more frames per second, you want more room in your buffer, you want more room on your memory card, you want to have Lightroom perform the very best it can, choose a bit depth of 12 and a type of compressed on your RAW format. 
if you want to make sure that you have the very most flexibility in post-processing, especially of a high dynamic range shot. And for you who may not know what that is, that's a scene where you have really, really super bright brights and very, very dark darks in the same shot. That's a high dynamic range scene. If you're doing that, which is like a landscape photographer, and you're not needing high frame rates, you're not concerned with filling up the camera buffer because you're only going to take one shot every few seconds anyway, um, you may as well choose a bit depth of 14 and a type of lossless compressed or on some Nikons you even have an uncompressed option. And you can set that and you'll get the very most you possibly can out of the sensor. It just might not be that noticeable between the other options, but you can do that. If you want to set it and forget it, if you don't want to worry about it between shoots and don't have to want to worry about it between the different types of photography you may do, which would be my case, I don't want to go set the, try to remember to set those with every photo session, I would not hesitate, again, bit depth of 12 and type of compressed because it doesn't really cost you anything in your ability to post-process your photos and yet you get all those side benefits of the speed gains in um, your buffer in frames per second and possibly in Lightroom. Okay, before leaving the topic, I need to do a quick shout out to Canon shooters with regard to this discussion. Canon doesn't give any bit depth options for RAW files. They do have a concept of RAW versus SRAW and on some of the very latest models, an MRAW and where MRAW stands for medium RAW file and SRAW kind of for small RAW file. Now the difference between those types of RAW files on Canon is not anything close to the difference that we're talking about with bit depth here from Nikon. Remember our analogy for bit depth was the instructions we could write on the side of the bucket on how the bucket should be filled up with paint to produce color. The more bits we had to write those instructions, the more colors we could get in that bucket, more different types of colors we could have in that bucket. Well, the difference between RAW and MRAW and SRAW has nothing to do with the bit depth it has everything to do with limiting the number of buckets that will be used to represent the photo. Your resolution is going down. Instead of having the, uh, we'll just pick a big number, 1 million by 1 million buckets to fill up the, with paint, you're gonna take it down to 1,000 by 1,000, something like that. The real term is resolution, and that's what you're taking away or choosing between with raw, a full raw versus an MRAW or an SRAW. And I would not want to recommend you changing anything but raw, doing anything but shooting raw for Canon. Uh, you know, raw versus JPEG, don't do MRAW or SRAW. There's not the same benefits from there. So MRAW is about 55 to 60% of the total pixel count of images. And it ends up being a smaller file size. So that's kind of the advantage that Canon would have, you believe, is there with the uh, MRAW format, because it's only about two thirds the file size as it writes those pixels down to your memory card. With SRAW, it's even smaller at only about 25% of the pixel count in the images, and it ends up being a file size that's about one half the size of full RAW. So think of the difference here a lot more like taking that RAW file into Photoshop, a full RAW file into Photoshop and changing the image size to being 50% for MRAW and 25% for SRAW. You're down sampling the image and reducing the number of pixels. You still have kind of the same photo overall and you still have the same bit depth overall. So the colors that you can have in each bucket remains the same. You're not changing that, but you're changing the pixels, the number of buckets that you have to represent the photo 
And to me, that's a big sacrifice. That's something that actually is going to impact your post-processing capabilities, certainly with how many, how you can print those photos and how large they can get, because that's all about pixels and how many pixels you've got. So I won't recommend anything but full raw on Canon cameras since that's changing something where there'll be a very noticeable difference in post-processing. All right, that's it for the episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. As a quick reminder, you can suggest topics for the show through the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash phototaco, through Instagram by messaging at phototaco podcast, or through email where the address is phototacopodcast at gmail.com. No question too basic or too complicated for the show. If I don't know the answer, I'll either research it like crazy, like I did for this one, or I'll bring an expert guest on the show to go through it. Don't forget to check out the other podcasts on the Improved Photography Network. We have Portrait Session, we have Tripod and Improved Photography that I frequent as a co-host. And uh, be sure to check those out. Really great podcasts, some great hosts that know a whole lot about photography. If you like Photo Taco, you should definitely check those out. Also take some time to head over to the mothership at improvephotography.com for news, gear, and other photo tip articles. We have some incredible authors who aren't necessarily on our podcast, but have really, really good experience and uh, articles that they're producing on gear, on news, and other photo tips. It is the best way to improve your photography. Photo Music expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of improved photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a commission is earned. Olay!